You are listening to Total Reboot, the only podcast on the internet about movies, films, videos, DVDs, Blu-rays, streaming services, and <laughs> U-Torrent, and Flickstore, <laughs> and <laughs> yes. WAV files, and zip files, and sneaky little folders that you can find on the deep dark web. We don't care how you get it, as long as you're watching a fucking movie. In fact, it's even cooler if you steal it, in my opinion. That has been the lesson of this miniseries, Cam. It's, it's cool. freaking cool to steal shit. It's fucking cool. Who cares about paying for it? Fucking get on to... Get on a lime wire. I'm sure that's still popping. Get on a lime wire. Get on Napster. Get on all the old That sites. should be the reboot, dude, of Heat. It's just fucking two cool dudes downloading Pirating. shit. And then one freaking narc coming in to get them, dude. <laughs> you got to be willing to drop everything in your life within 30 seconds if the video pirating police come knocking at your door. <laughs> I'm Cameron James. I'm sitting across the Zoom from Alexi Toliopoulos. How are you, Lex? Cameron, I am actually feeling really freaking great because not only do I have you, one of my dearest friends, sitting across from the Zoom from me to iconically sit across from each other as if we are two people <laughs> that have had this long storied career finally meeting and discussing something as powerful as heat but just like in the movie the iconic three-hander where three powerful people sit at that <laughs> dining room table <laughs> at that diner having that discussion over and over again al pacino robert de niro and I guess another iconic actor of the era, probably Ryan O'Neill or something. <laughs> or the tomato sauce. The tomato that. sauce watched the whole <laughs> thing happen. That's true. The Heinz I'm, is a part of this. I'm truly the tomato sauce of this podcast. We're joined by the greatest condiment of all time <laughs> from one heat minute, Mr. Blake Howard. Yes. How you going, brother? Oh, gents. It's so nice to be here to talk to you about this. Um, it's I've been a fan of the series. So, you know, when you guys were talking about crescendoing this bad boy with heat, I was like, Please, please invite me. I would love... We haven't... This is one thing we haven't shared together. I'd finish One Heat Minute before we hooked up. Before we hooked up, baby. And we did hook up. And we hooked up. We did hook up. It was a magnificent affair. And And speaking of condiments, none of us were wearing any condiments. (laughs) (laughs) Well, until the end of the evening, we're all covered in some kind of... <laughs> Some kind of condiment, I'd say. Oh, so glazed. It was outstanding. But no, it's a real pleasure to be here. <laughs> to talk. Oh, God, the pleasure was all mine, Blake. I'll be honest about that. <laughs> Thanks for doing it. I actually can't believe that you... Um, I can't believe you wanted to do it. You've talked about heat. How many times have you talked about heat on podcast record, would you estimate? Look, there's a... About 180-odd episodes of One Heat Minute these mm-hmm. days. Um, there's a few bonuses because there's 165 pre-credit minutes of heat and then 166. It's sort of split between the two. And, uh, yeah, there's a few bonus episodes in there since the show ended, and we've got a few more coming up to discuss uh, Heat 2, the novel that's coming out in August. But, yeah, yeah, I reckon close to 200 if I was being a cheeky guest on some other shows. Wow. So, yeah, uh, a lot of hours. And off the records, have you ever talked about Heat <laughs> not on a podcast just with a friend or something with a well it, it was really funny i caught up with a bunch of people recently like, like that i'd met online and then i got to meet them face to face and um i was sitting there and everyone was talking about michael man everyone was talking about heat and one of my friends turned to me and they're like 
this happens to you in real life? This is like film Twitter <laughs> at a bar. Like, what the fuck is going on? And I was like, look, I, I, I can't help it. But if that's my lot in life to talk about Michael Mann, to talk about heat, I, I'm... I'm happy as a pig in shit. I'm happy as a Heinz wow. bottle in front of two of the greatest actors <laughs> of all time. I'm happy. I'm I would to- say it's probably not dissimilar than, you know, recently Cam and I, lots of people going, hey, have you seen the Pentaveret? I'm like, yeah, I'm not talking about it for free, dude. Get on the freaking podcast. That's the only way you can hear me talk. <laughs> oh. I was actually uh, really keen to ask you about your experience overseas recently, Blake. So you, I mean, uh, you probably talked about it on your own show, but- would you would you please tell our audience the amazing experience you just had in the United States of America? I, I've become really good friends with Bilga Abiri, who's one of the world's best film critics. And Bilga put up a post online maybe a couple of months ago now that said, hey guys, I'm actually moderating the Tribeca Film Festival 4K restoration version of Heat and Michael Mann, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro and the producer Art Linson are going to be there. Oh my God. And, and I just instinctively sort of half jokingly because you know sometimes I just like to throw these things out in the universe to manifest and I was like I'm coming I just I quote tweeted and said I'm coming Bilga reached out and said well if you want to come I can get you a ticket and you can come and stay with me and then a whole bunch of my friends started going I'm I will fly from Chicago I will fly from Boston I will fly from LA to to be there if you say that you're going to be there um and I recently changed jobs and I had a little bit of extra a little bit of extra spending money, and I just Ooh, went, a little bit you know, of throwing around money, a little, little bit of throwing around money, be a little bit irresponsible. <laughs> um, and I was like, I'm like, Chris, I'm gonna go gamble it. Um, uh, the, the Super Bowl is gonna clean me out, and I just was like, I'm going. So I went over there and I stayed with my great friend Bilga and a whole bunch of the One Heat Minute extended family sort of rallied around to this thing. And you know, Bilga was hosting the thing, so you know, on a Saturday afternoon at like uh, 4 p.m. Oh, sorry, on a Friday afternoon, rather, at about 4 p.m., I jump in a town car with Bill Gerber and his family, and we drive up to Washington Heights in New York City to Tribeca, and we drive behind a barricade with a whole bunch of fans lined up outside and oh walk, into a, walk into a green room. Is it like One Direction where there's all these teenage girls going, Art Linson, no, just, just a, a thousand what, people. What just happened? The biography, we love you. A thousand people that look like me in line. <laughs> <laughs> just like, uh, just waiting to get in. And one guy dressed as a giant sauce bottle. But um, so <laughs> so we're there. There's, there's, chain, uh, there's sort of dressing rooms off there. And we hear that the Today Show is interviewing the three uh, three people, not four, because Michael Mann unfortunately got COVID, um, so uh, which which is brutal. But he got COVID in Italy, where he's shooting Ferrari, which he's uh, shooting with wow. Adam Driver. So that's that's exciting. Um, the fact that he's in Italy shooting a um, new movie. But Why so I was making it. So we're downstairs, and in enters the the guys like Pacino, De Niro, oh my God. Art Linson, and Jane Art Rosenthal. Linson. Art Linson. <laughs> Uh, Jane Rosenthal, who's the who's the head of who's the head of Tribeca, and sort of Pacino walks past and greets everyone and says hello, and then he totters off to his dressing room. Pacino sits down with his family. Art Linson is there, and Bilger, because he's just truly that like the man that actually clinched Michael Mann to come onto the show, and just so generous. He just introduced himself to all the parties. They had a quick chat, and then he just went one by one and introduced me to firstly Art Linson. And, oh my the, God. and then I'm like there sh- talking to him, shaking his hand. And then he goes and gets De Niro and introduces oh, him to his family first. Up, That's and then he looks and then he goes, but I, but this is my special guest. 
He's from Australia. He flew all the way here to just be at this screening. And he told him about One Heat Minute. He's done a podcast called One Heat Minute. It's gone through every single minute of heat. And he's here and he's here. And he looked at me and he shook his hand. I was pleased to meet you, Mr. De Niro. And he gave me the De Niro face. He gave me the... Wow. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow. And at that point, the Blake that's talking to you now, like, I just put him away. Mm -hmm. Like, I had to... Like, Mm. he was scream. He was like a Bieber girl. Like, he was just on another planet. And I had to just sort of be professional. But truly, it was like one of the wildest experiences of my life. And then moments later, we're about to meet... Al Pacino and he took a phone call on his famous phone that has the Shrek phone case. <laughs> and you can verify it is a Shrek 100% phone case. 100% Shrek phone case can verify saw it person. Um so I would I I had met him briefly like he'd walked past and said hello to every person but Bilga didn't get a chance to do that whole like intro and introing me specifically to Pacino but you know um, He didn't go say hello to my little friend podcaster Blake Allen. <laughs> no, didn't get a chance to do He's that. He's got a I, great ass. Uh, it's so good. He's just outstanding. Um, wow. But, but so then I, you know, I walked out and watched the 4K restoration of Heat and watched the Q and A, which was a bit a bit wild. Like they're, the the New Yorkers are thirsty for Pacino. Like they are, oh, th- yeah, like they are as thirsty as it gets. Shouting out his lines to him, and he's like bewildered and doesn't know what they're saying, and then has to ask them wow. again. And he, it was just it was a wild Q and A. Bilga did a great job. Um, it was a bit, you know, Michael Mann is like, and I can say this, Michael Mann is like one of the best interviews you could ever hope for because if you're prepared, like he will just, he's a guy who will talk and talk and corral the other people and he commands a bit of respect, but he wasn't there. So slightly unhinged, but that kind of made for it to be really fun. So yeah, I got to watch it with my friends over there that I made on the One Heat Minute family. And it was, um, I actually still don't believe that it happened. Like I, it happened so quickly. I was, I was out of the country for four days i think i was on the ground less than i was in the air and um far out that's a nightmare it was it was an absolute night and to be honest people are like how do you feel about it i'm like i haven't felt anything yet like i'm dead inside i'm like i'm like i I had to like i every everything every fiber of my being is like uh, a bit changed from that encounter so unbelievable man it's, it's it's crazy wow I love that you just lived the philosophy of the movie. You've got to have put anything that you can live in life, you've got to put <laughs> yep. in that bag and run away. Even your wife and two kids are like, no, nah, i got to leave it away. My wife is the best because I, I said, I'm joking about this. And she goes, you know, she made the point of like, no, 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 you have to do this. She's like, hey, no, you're not. <laughs> She's like, she's like, she's like, you have to do this. They're they're getting old. Like she made that point. She's like, yeah, getting yeah, old. Yeah. They're they're you know nearly in their eighties and yeah. So it's not like they're was... coming out here. Never. They're not going to come Never. out here and do a heat Q and A. You may as well Never. do it. I got to do it. So I so that was you know um it was just the wildest thing. It was it was absolutely crazy, dude. That so. is amazing. So can I ask also? Did um did all of them sit in the room and watch it, or were they? Fucking in their green room, chilling. No, they just bailed. Oh, they were fucking in their green room. <laughs> Hang on, Art Linson was. Fu- is this an exclusive? Art Linson was fucking Al Pacino. I don't, I don't. I don't know about that. All I know is that someone was holding a Shrek phone case phone and filming the whole thing. And I want to get my hands on that footage. No, um, no, they 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 did the they they did the actual Q and A, and then they just bailed. I assume. I you know I think I, I don't think they ever really stick around. I think the last time at the Academy screening, which was about you know, three or four years ago now that um, that was moderated by Chris Nolan. I think that, like, you know, version of the film was probably the last time they all sat in a room because I know they got the whole cast out mm. and it was, you know, all these people. So 
Um, yeah, no, they didn't. They didn't stick around. I, I don't think Art Linson has seen the film since 1995. I get that sense from talking to him. He's like, I don't remember any of this shit. And I'm just like, uh, you wrote a memoir that has like a significant chunk that is about heat. So yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it was just I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. It was well, just the wildest thing ever. Did they have any insights that you that recontextualized some things for you, or was it basically? takes that you've heard them say before or i mean how how was it um the one insight that i mean i have the problem of like i have consumed so much on heat that like i've seen every possible thing um Mm. and so the one thing that i liked it's something that i'd heard michael mann talk about but it was something that Pacino said, which is the one thing about when he was training the police for this, you know, the ultimate heist that's at the beginning, in the middle of this movie, the centerpiece of the movie, if you like, he just said that police are so used to being on the offensive. And so he's like, so what we're going to do is we're going to overwhelm them with people who are just not only equally up to the task of being on the offensive, but are actually tactically better. He was like, so he's like, police like to have the advantage. They like to have the numbers. They like to get and, and overwhelm people. And it's like, but when they're tactically overwhelmed, that's when chaos happens. And so how, that's mm. how he framed it for Pacino. So it was really interesting that like, he was just as dedicated to like frame it up for the guys who are playing the cops. So like, no, this is why these guys overwhelm you because their tactical advantage, their weapons, you know, they just, you know, they're, they're here to overwhelm you in this moment and they have no morality. And so that was kind of cool. Um, that was kind of cool. There was one moment in the actual Q&A that caused a lot of nonsense, uh, which is <laughs> that Pacino said... This is what I was going to ask you, Blake. I've been dying to know this. Okay, I'm going to tell you... I, I, I shared it, but I'll tell you guys. I asked, I was working with Bilga on the questions and I gave Bilga this question. Who would you cast? They're all filmmakers. If Heat was being made today, who would you cast? Not if it's a sequel. And they, as old men do, they completely misinterpreted the question, right? And so Pacino had this cheeky fucking smile on his face and he goes, oh, for Hannah? Oh, Timothy Chalamet. And mm. everyone lost their mind, but he just had this big goofy grin on his face, and he goes, "Oh yeah, and Bob, Bob can be uh, Bob's character can be played by Harry Styles because Bob's such a great singer." And everyone was losing their mind, like they <laughs> knew it was the biggest troll. He'd only seen Timothy Chalamet on his Shrek covered phone, like he doesn't know who this loser is. Like he doesn't give a shit about Timothy Chalamet. He just trolled everyone in the audience, and everyone was howling, like knee slapping. It was so funny. It was like the funniest moment in already unhinged Q and A. And everyone took that to gospel. And I'm like, you idiots, he's trolling you. He was he even said Harry Styles to play Macaulay because Bob's <laughs> such a good singer, you idiots. Oh, it was so good. But you know, you know, I'll tell you what, a man with a Shrek phone case, he doesn't know how to go viral. So he absolutely made the internet ablaze with stupid takes and bad reporting for a whole day. It's um, so funny to picture these old men just like smirking at the young up and coming <laughs> just actors. Laughing at him. Like just laughed at him. He's smirking he was just like looked at the audience with a wry smile and like i was sitting there with a couple of buddies and i had people that were close around me and my friend jordan who was sitting right next to me on the side we were just like howling laughing and then when we got out we you know caught up with a few friends after the screening and there were people like going oh my god people are tweeting about this i'm like god you're so dumb like that is the dumbest (laughs) whoever whoever has reported this is so stupid like if you actually saw the video you would know it was a massive troll but and it was fun it was super that is the new reporting though is like taking things out of context almost deliberately and being like 
I want to be the yeah. one to say that he said this. Even yeah. though I know he didn't mean it, I want to be the one to say it. <laughs> well, take the whole quote. Say that Harry Styles, someone on the internet, get Harry Styles and Chalamet, get some Photoshop, you know, of these guys totally. sharing sharing dreams. And maybe know? put a little asterisk and be like, he smirked or like, <laughs> yeah. yes. It's brutal to be as respected as Al Pacino and they still cut off his punchlines. Like, oh, I can't catch a break. <laughs> oh, man. Too funny. Very excited. I mean, I'm so excited for you. That sounds like a dream. Like, to, to be mm. in the room with those guys. Oh, my God. And I have a question for you. Once and for all, we need to put this to bed. Mm. Alexi and I have argued about this in the past, and mm. wow, I need your say, definitive yeah. answer. Now that you've been in the room with the two titans at the same time, Al and Bob. You've touched one of them. Yeah. You've touched one of them. You've seen the other one's phone case. <laughs> which one of the two fellas, Al and Bob, which one is the best looking fella? Be honest. I think um, I think Pacino at the moment's got like an aging rock star look. Like his hair's a bit <laughs> wilder. And he's, yes. if, if that's your He's look, got that like, rooster cockerel the, hair. Yeah, got the rooster hair. He's got the black <laughs> coat. He had like a suave <laughs> shirt on. And like De Niro just looked like you're. Your, your mate's dad like he just like he was just dressed very kind of like um very low-key but i must say like De Niro's looking in shape he was looking pretty sharp like like the years that he has lived do not live quite look quite as hard as the years that have lived on pacino's face if i can say that kindly um so I, I i like in their peak really difficult i'd probably lean towards pacino but i'm gonna say De Niro now because he did look he was looking in shape he was looking there but if you're um if you're for the unpredictable, if you're for the uh, the swashbuckling, I think that Pacino might be your guy. And clearly that audience was thirsty as all get out for, for him on the night. It's so, so just funny. an audience reaction. That's a great answer. Also, it's so funny to me that Al Pacino, um, at, some, at some point in his career, he played Danny Collins and then he <laughs> yeah. never broke character. He's been, he's been Danny Collins for the last seven years. Oh, it's these two guys, I you know, I said... I said this to one of my mates. I was like, this might be the most genius casting ever because Vincent Hanna is the big, wild, you know, unpredictable sort of guy and Neil's the straight guy. And, like, that wasn't necessarily how we pictured those two guys all throughout their career. But, like, that's who they are. Like, Mm. De Niro feels like Macaulay, like straight guy, laconic, one-word answers where possible. And Pacino's, like, the guy who take one tiny thread and weave it into a tapestry of a story that just completely has nothing to do with what he's been asked. But he's, you know, they're, they're just, I mean, they're the coolest individuals ever. That's why, again, that Chalamet troll was so good. It was like, shut up, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. That's all these people want to hear. Is this, oh, man, funny. So will you be um, traveling back to the United States for the next time they get together, pr- probably for that movie they did? Righteous Kill yeah, or whatever it was. Righteous Kill. Righteous Kill. Righteous Kill. 10-year anniversary screening. Man, I'm more, keen, I'm more keen if they make it to the Irishman, right? I'm, oh I'm, keen, I'm keen for the Irishman screening at, at Tribeca. I think that that's a couple of years away. But the 30th anniversary uh, of Heat is in, in 2025, so we're a few years away. And I did go to New York. I flew right over LA. I was at LAX. I was mm, scanning wow. the outskirts of LAX, and I was going, you know what? I need to do God. a proper LAX so proper LA tour yeah. of heat locations. You're going to get a plane to fly right over your head. Oh, on I that, fly on over. Someone shoot me in the chest. Uh, let's <laughs> let's make this trip worthwhile. Is that how you want to go out? Is that how you want to go out? Holding Al Pacino's hands, <laughs> dying on the tarmac There's so many worse 
ways to go, to be honest. Like, you know, like I told you I was never going back. You know, that's that's as good as it gets, right? <laughs> Maybe this is as good as it gets. <laughs> different movie, different actor, different vibe. But I just liked it. I liked that you said it and it made me want to say it. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's a great movie. Helen Hunt as Macaulay. There you go. Jack Nicholson and Greg as Kine- Vincent Hanna. Greg Kinnear as Val Kilmer. <laughs> Every movie is heat when you break it down to three roles. That's what I've been trying to say. That's that's what I've been trying to say for years. Oh shit! All right, Kevin Stewart and Bob the Minions, dude. That's freaking heat. Oh, oh my god, god. Oh, we god. gotta get into this. We gotta get into this movie, guys. Let's do it. Let's dive in. You want to be making moves on the street, have no attachments, allow nothing to be in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner. In the city of Los Angeles. Recognize the MO? MO is that they're good. If you think these guys are scoring more than passing through, I doubt it. A relentless police detective is on the trail what do we got of a master thief you're fugitive number one with a bullet it's double the risk here you're wrong it's four times the risk and i'm double the worst trouble you ever had we're talking about heat from the year 1995 directed by michael mann and today another man whose name is not michael but is in fact alexi (laughs) is going to (laughs) read a log line that he found from the internet to Blake and I, Blake and I are going to decide whether we love it or hate it. How do we rate it? It's love that logline. Well, for this segment, Cameron, I have scoured the internet and I've gone to our favorite website, imdb.com, and I have found a very interesting synopsis. This is from an IMDb user called Tad Dibburn, and he has used his... (laughs) University of Pennsylvania.edu email to sign up to this. Wow. So this is a guy who was probably studying That's film. That's amazing. Bachelor of Arts. This guy's from UPenn. UPenn. UPenn dude. Tad from Penn. Amazing. Go Bobcats. <laughs> so here is what Tad from UPenn says. Hunters and their prey. Neil and his professional criminal crew hunt to score big money targets. Banks, vaults, armored cars, etc., and are in turn hunted by Lieutenant Vincent Hanna and his team of cops in the robbery-slash-homicide police division. A botched job puts Hanna onto their trail while they regroup and try to put together one last big retirement score. Neil and Vincent are similar in many ways, including their troubled personal lives. At a crucial moment in his life, Neil disobeys the dictum taught to him long ago by his criminal mentor. Never have anything in your life you can't walk away, you can't walk out on in 30 seconds flat. If you spot the heat coming around the corner as he falls in love. Thus, the stage is set for the suspenseful ending. Dot, dot, dot. <clears throat> Look, I thought that started amazingly. Mm-hmm. And then it, it got really bad. Tad. <laughs> Does it lose you? At, can I say the word that I think it might lose you? Does it lose you at the word dictum? <laughs> dictum is distracting because it's a combo between dick and rectum and then that yeah. that gets your mind to a Cronenbergian place where you're picturing body parts mm. merging and that's exciting and interesting now that's a good heat if it's a one's a dick and one's a rectum 
And the other's the taint? <laughs> no, that's that's Wayne Grope. Um, no, it's it's. Yeah, no, I hate it. I really hate yeah, it. I There's so like many it. ways to do it. There's so many ways to do that synopsis shorter. Tad, we hated Did- that, and we hope that the Pennsylvania <laughs> Quakers football team have a terrible season. <laughs> It was bad, Tad. It was bad. <laughs> Tad, you did bad. Okay, Tad? I think the key thing when we're thinking about heat is it, it's coming here at the end of our heist miniseries. It is like now the iconic heist movie. And coming back to it, I think I find it even more interesting than I've ever found it because of the way that it encapsulates this grand epic scale of crime. There are so many different elements that come together to play in this really unique kind of quilted pastiche of what crime is in America, where we've got these elite professionals. And then amongst those elite professionals, you see their everyday lives of so many different facets of their lives and the industry that they all work in, which is crime at large. And I think coming back to it now, all the fat that is on heat, all like the shagginess of heat is like what brings me the joy is that it encompasses everything that there is in like the life cycle of a criminal and I think that is what makes it so special because in my head I think of heat as while it's long because it is all about this professionalism I think of it as quite lean and cold but it's so much more than that that's interesting because in the past and I forgive me for if I'm being offensive here particularly to you Blake um in the past I've criticize this film for being too long for having too many elements that are that seem unnecessary but on the viewing that i gave it today all those little storylines that seem inconsequential all the things that i think if i was an edit assist i'd be making little notes on the avid being like (laughs) let's lose this let's lose the suicide (laughs) attempt let's lose wayne grow um they were all the bits that I enjoyed the most mm. on this yeah. viewing. And I think it's because it's it's almost like a, an entire series of television. It's There's so many – there's a huge world. We see all these different characters and their lives and we see coincidences and we see – it's not just a heist movie. There's also a fucking serial mm. killer movie in this and there's a family <laughs> drama in this. There's a straight time story. That mm. was my favorite thing going back yeah. this time. Uh, it's Dennis Haysbert, right, Blake? It sure is. Don Breeden. There's this whole segment with Dennis Haysbert as Don Breeden, who is going straight. Mm. He's trying to leave the life of crime. He's got this shitty job working as a line cook in a diner. And that was the thing that I just fell deeply in love with this time and found so engrossing because you see this full life cycle of crime. He's out. He's not even connected to the story for most of it. Mm. But then he keeps getting disrespected, treated like a second class citizen at his like shitty job. And the moment, it builds up to the moment where he's asked to get back into crime, Mm. where you cannot break that cycle. And of course, he says yes. You get this complete understanding of what the life cycle of crime is and why these people feel trapped by it or why they need to be trapped by it. I found it kind of like genuinely deeply moving, not just because Dennis Haysbert's a great actor, but because it just plays out so beautifully. That is precisely, you guys just nailed precisely why Heat became a film that I became obsessed with because, you know, I saw it just 
like everyone else saw it. Like I, I, I passively saw it. The first time I saw it, I was walking past my friend's sister's bedroom. She's a video geek, like a real pure cinephile, registered cinephile. And I walked past wow. her room and I saw that gigantic green truck come out in the preliminary heist and smash into the armored car. And I was walking past her room to walk up the stairs to my buddy's room. And I stopped and I was like, what, what the hell is this? And right from that moment, you're younger. Show me you one sit- more minute of that thing. <laughs> show me, show me another we talk about that minute we just watched together? Another minute. Um, <laughs> but I watched it and then exactly like you, like you have these highlight, this highlight reel of what heat is in your head. And then mm. as I kept watching it, it's exactly that. Like that Don Breeden story is so heartbreaking. And that look that Neil McCauley gives... Breeden and uh, Robert Smith to Dennis Haysbert in that diner and offers him this this task, offers him this huge opportunity if you're a criminal, but also this, you know, basically shackling into a life that he's never going to escape from this point on. It was it was just overwhelming. And those moments of those elevated moments, that they're the thing that bring me back to heat all the time. Like um that I never want one moment of that trimmed. You know, I, I don't mm. want I don't want any mm. of it gone. Like I I, I think it, to to earn She's got a great ass. You need Vincent Hanna walking out in the 60th minute, discovering that there's a serial killer on the loose and then seeing the girl's mother and her family mm. standing there and having this stunning... And her ass to compare it to his <laughs> wife's ass. <laughs> no, you need those moments because they are the elevated moments. They're the moments mm. that really, truly bring you into these characters. And even like Neil with Charlene and all those things, you know, finding out mm. that she's cheating on Chris and trying to trying to keep that relationship together, you know, held together. That 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 is just... That's why I could endlessly talk about this movie. It, it, it was just something that constantly I found rewarding and I still do yeah, every single time that I watch it. Do you think that these, all these storylines, the serial killings, the cheating, the troubled daughter at home, you know, like the straight time story, do you think these were all things that were uh, Michael Mann's plan for the series if it went ahead as the LA takedown pilot? Yeah, I think absolutely. You just, I think you nailed on the head cam, which is like right now the inclination is I need an eight to 10 episode series. Like mm. it was even a joke in one of the recent only murders in the building. Like they're trying to turn it into, turn this thing into a series. And I think that that's how he originally conceived it because I was, I don't think he was sure that he could balance exactly as you said, if you're the editor and balance the tones, right at the end of this, mm. he wants to make a massive human drama that is also a crime epic and doing mm. both of those things with the same and tonally weaving between those two things. I think he was always like, Oh, I, it's much, the canvas is a television show. But I think that this is like the case in point um, for me is like, I think that that's how he actually cracked the story. Because if you look at LA takedown as like a TV movie, what it's actually missing, <clears throat> it, it is like the porno version of heat, right? Um, mm. I, I would like to call that meat if I would uh, ever direct it myself. <laughs> but I, I think it, it's, it's, it's all of it's heat's action sequences and it's bad actors doing all of the things that we love. But what you actually then realize is, oh no, all this stuff, it's not, it's not ephemera. It's not like unnecessary. It's mm. absolutely the thing that clinches this movie is that, pinnacle of high cinema and maybe American crime movies for the last almost 30 years. And so, yeah, that's, I, I think that that's the perfect thing. If you ever want to go, I think it's on YouTube. It, used, it was certainly while we were doing one heat minute, it was on YouTube, but you can watch the whole of LA takedown um, uh, as, as a side by side one time, if you really, mm. and it, it, it will weird you out. But uh, I think that that you just nailed it, Cam, which is like, he saw that 
and the pilot for LA Takedown should have worked. Hmm. Everything about it should have worked. That's really the essential ingredients of heat, but it's just that that seasoning and actually telling this thing on an epic canvas, I think is exactly where I was like, I actually cracked it. I know how to do this thing. Yeah, I don't think I would respond to the movie as much as I have, much like you, without all that stuff. Because, no. I mean, it would still be great probably, you know, but maybe it's just den of thieves. Yeah, <laughs> well, exactly. Just, it would just, just be like a great. It would just be a great action, you know, crime movie. But the fact that it has all this extra stuff, you know, makes me care about the people. Makes me care yeah. about Hannah. If I didn't see his relationship with, you know, his wife's daughter and all that stuff, I probably would be like, oh yeah, cool. He's just some hard ass cop. But I love the whole the final half hour or forty minutes where he. You know, he rushes to the hospital with her and he's he's caring for her and all that stuff makes me almost love him. Where I'm yeah. like, oh my God, this man, he'll, he just lives this horrible fucking existence where he's constantly surrounded by death and blood. And now it's invaded his own home yes. and he didn't even notice it as it was happening. Like it was right under his own eyes and it makes and me fucking love him. No, I, I love it. And Justine, there's a moment with Diane Venora's character, Justine, who plays Hannah's third wife who's on the downslope of a marriage with. And it took me so many times to watch this, to, to see it. But just as he leaves and exits down the stairs, Michael Mann just holds on her in a bed and he sees herself medicate. Like he, she just like takes a Xanax. Hmm. And so when you go downstairs, I know people like take the mickey out of Natalie Portman. She's like, mom, where are my barrettes? Well, she can't get a rise out of her because she's doped up. Like she's mm. on a Xanax and you just go, oh my God, the epic tragedy of this. And I didn't come up with this call, but I truly think it's one of the most, you know, brilliant and tragic. And, you know, just this reading of the film, my great friend, Jedediah Ayers, who's a brilliant author and a screenwriter. And he was like, where do you think she learned how to do that? And the question he was posing was like, did Vincent come home one time with a file? And she sees it. Like, did she, mm. how has she learned how to do this? And why has she done it precisely in the way to get his attention? And those moments for me, just that they're, they're, they're the full, that they're the moments in the audience where you can hear, you know, in, in some of the recent screenings I've been to uh, in the theater, like they're the, the moments in the audience where like, you know, the people who are really there, they're really down the full on heat nuts. Like they're, they're just like, they, they, they reach over to each other and like, this is why this thing is so great. It's an epic. It's truly first and foremost. I think that epic sense is so key to understanding it because it is an epic. And it's like, I would say one of the first real modern day contemporary set epics of like going into the 21st century, going into the new millennium. It's the first one where it feels like, and what a new epic feels like that doesn't feel like a period piece. It doesn't feel like a period set film at all. And I think with Heat, it feels so much like a novel that has not been adapted. It's just a novel that is on the screen. Yeah. So I often think about it in terms of like something like The Godfather, the novel, how that's adapted very cleanly, but they carve out a lot of it and they streamline the story to make it work for what it's trying to do. But so much about that novel is about talking about America and the influence that crime has on every different aspect of it. I think Heat is one of the most successful, purely cinematic epics that truly understands how to convey uh, beyond plots 
and uh, and convey story in a really compelling way and ha- everything that goes into the world building nature of story to really soak into it and it's just it's extremely successful at doing exactly that like no other film is you talk about codes and they set up the pathos and stuff like that and it's also a movie that you think every time you you think that there's a moment where neil mccauley doesn't trust his instincts you kind of like keep watching and you realize that happens earlier and earlier and earlier than you realize, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, you know, you got to get out of here. If you spot the heat coming around the corner, the guy sits at a diner in front of the heat, you know, mm. he shares his dreams with the heat. Like this mm. guy is, he's, he's at a level where his confidence in himself and in his ability he he's like his hubris gets him. It gets him so early because he's like, I can do this. He's like, you, you know, Nate's like, you can't make a mistake. You can't miss. And he's like, I won't. Like, I won't mm-hmm. miss. And so, you know, this is a guy at the, at his absolute zenith. And I think that Hannah's at that too. And you got to see all the things that distract them and the way that they interact with their worlds around them. But you know, that's it. it does both. It's so it's mm-hmm. it's a really special. Can we talk about that diner scene because it is so <clears throat> iconic? Hang on, sorry, I mean, what everyone has. <laughs> There's a scene in this movie that no, is you with, really, really interesting. With Wangro when he asks for more coffee, right? Yes. That one? Yep. When, when he goes to the diner and Wangro wants more coffee, it is, powerful, it is electric. It is <laughs> incredible cinema. No, of course, I'm actually I'm actually joking. I'm joking. Psych. I'm talking about... Fuck, there's a hilarious. scene... So good. Set that was hilarious. At a late night hilarious. coffee... <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was one of my most hysterical pranks that I've ever Oh, Lexi Kutcher podcast. over here. Jesus. <laughs> you got freaking psyched, bitches. And allow me to actually reveal to you the truth about what I meant. But there is a scene in this movie that is a diner scene where Al Pacino very nicely invites Neil McCauley, played by Robert De Niro, for a cup of joe. And they go have this cup of joe at the diner. They sit across from each other. (laughs) A couple of joes sharing a couple of cups of joes. (laughs) But I tell you one thing that really I find interesting about this scene, and it kind of surprises me every time coming back to it. The dialogue is sensational. Hearing these two giants, these two goliaths, tete-a-tete between each other. Did Kevin Smith do a pass on this? It's fucking... The dialogue is hectic. (laughs) It's so cool when they're like, oh, yeah, one time in my life I got trapped in a Chinese finger trap, and I think you know what I mean about that. I had this recurring dream. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, continue. Well, I just want to say, just before we move on, I think this movie would only be improved if it was set in the Viewersk universe. And they were at a movies or something instead of a diner. They went to, like, movies. That would be cool. And, look, instead of Bosco getting shot, Dante, why not? Just (laughs) gun him down in the street. He gets a freaking blapped, dude. He's not even supposed to be here today. But anyway, continue. (laughs) Continue. He's not even supposed to be in this movie. But unfortunately, he is, and he did copper lead in the gut. Um, But what I find interesting and surprising is that that scene is just... 
it's just that scene. It does like not needlessly play into like the uh, the metatextual iconic moment of these two guys finally sharing a scene together. Uh, except for that one moment where it transitions between the two of them in Godfather Part 2 where you see both of them on screen at the same time for like three seconds. But this is the only time that they, at this point in time, shared the screen together. Mm. And I feel like there's so much that could go into this scene that makes it needlessly play into that metatextuality to go oh how iconic is this moment it is just the scene like you see Al Pacino sitting there looking shiftingly awkward as he waits around and I think there is this interesting thing where also doesn't even need to play for like the symmetry of the scene like it would be so the easiest choice to make would be like okay we're going for that wide symmetrical shot where we see it like that it's like nope we're just gonna play it how it needs to be played these two great actors mm. acting across from each other getting that freaking dialogue a flowing out of them <laughs> and being captured by the other one and then being spread out by them once again I think that's like something that I don't think gets enough credit in this scene. Why do you think this scene is as iconic as it is? Well, I I think it's I think it's so iconic because it's just them, right? They're in the scene at the time, especially when you didn't see it on a cinema screen, you saw it on a TV, there was a lot of interest like were they even in the same scene, da 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 da. It falls yeah, That's it, how like, I saw it the first time. Yeah, <laughs> so you, you it's it's you know I just think that it's exactly the pitch so, Michael Mann met a guy named Charlie Adamson, who was actually Dennis Farina's co-detective in Chicago, right? And hmm. so, Charlie Adamson was the wow. guy who caught the real Neil McCauley, and he told him this story from the 1970s where he'd been hunting down McCauley's crew. He just randomly saw him outside of a dry cleaners, and there was a moment where he looked. they looked at each other, and there was a moment that he thought, this could just be a shootout in the street between he and I. And he asked him if he'd go for a cup of coffee. And sort of they had a couple a, of Joes. A cup of Joes. Yeah, come and have a couple of Joes. Put come a couple of guns away. Come and have some Joes. Um, <laughs> do you think the scene would be as iconic if he said, do you want to go for a couple of Joes? <laughs> come and get one of those weird yogurt drinks yeah. with me. Yeah. Um, uh, so that actually happened. And what I think is so perfect about it is because the whole thesis of the movie is in that moment. Mm. And I think that that's what is actually special is because like, mm. you don't want them winking. You don't want them doing anything. And, you know, yeah. despite Kevin Smith's grade a pass on the dialogue, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's the best gestural performance almost ever because you watch the way the two shot works and how their heads move and how their gaze shifts and how they follow each other, looking to other sides of the room head tilts, it's just, it's mm. like the best tennis match for two people's conveying their emotions and how they're feeling right there. And and it just sort of sets up like, there's only one way for this to end, you know? And it just, it's the whole thesis of the movie. It's everything we could possibly want. And that's the moment where they sort of articulate it. And then we go back to, you know, it happens between the 89th and the 96th minute, right? And then we've still got like 70 odd minutes of this movie to unfold. Mm. And so I think that that's what's so special about it. Just it's, it's the placement. 
It's the thesis. It's that they don't wink. Like that's the lot. Like mm. if it was the Rock and he Dwayne Johnson, go, actually, you kind of look like my dad. Yeah, like it's or like like that. It's that stupid stuff. Like you know that a Ryan Reynolds version of this would just be like winking. Oh, out. You know, you know that it would just do it. And I think God. that it's restrained. If it was Red Notice and Deadpool sitting across from each other, that's an awesome movie. He'd be awesome. like, you know what? You kind of look like an avocado fucked a topographical <laughs> map of Utah. <laughs> But so no, I think I think you're you're just spot on. It's just that it it doesn't do any of that shit. Mm. It's there for it's there for those guys to make a genuine connection. And the whole goal for man in this movie is to make you equally invested with the cri- with the crooks and mm. the cops whenever you're with them. Mm. So not constantly thinking when you're with the cops, you're with them, you're dialed in, you back them. When you're with the criminals, you want them to succeed in the heist. Like there's that weird dichotomy in the heist where you're like I actually want them to get away I mean Chris gets shot like ever like people gasp mm. like oh my god and you know that I think that that's that's why it's so perfect because it's the placement it's the timing it's the the execution it's just sublime and people th- people talk about that scene a lot and rightfully so it is great but <clears throat> it's almost like the final scene of the the shootout between the two mm. of them at the airport you know is is almost I don't feel like I hear people talk about that scene as much. It's my favourite scene. And it's it's beautiful. I, I feel yeah. like... And you see them touch. It's yeah. the first time you see them touch. Yeah, it's my... Why don't people talk my, about I, that scene as much? It's it's actually quite a beautiful moment. That moment of tenderness between them when mm. when uh, De Niro's like bleeding out and dying. I think that's... Like, to I'm me, gonna, gonna, that's what the movie is, you know. I'm going to show you something, Cameron. I showed Alexi. He's seen this before. This is the an original artwork from Brianna Ashby, who's a great artist. Who did this artwork for me mm, that's of great. Heat, which is Pacino and De Niro. De Niro, uh, when he's standing in his apartment uh, looking out mm. you know, to the waters at Malibu. But that face that Vincent Hanna has got here, that is the moment for me. That's like the, the absolute peak of the movie. Like the, there was, I had so much fun talking about Heat throughout that whole show. And the one time that I became like absolutely overwhelmed with emotion, I was talking to my friend Travis Woods in like the the 165th episode of Heat on the 165th minute. And I was watching that and I just broke up because I realized like how close I was to the the climax of this Mm. thing. And that moment where he shoots That's actually how I felt when we did the gold member episode. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I love gold. You're just crying like a mess, like I was. Um, but you know that—that's how I felt. I, I felt like overwhelmed in that moment. It's so tragic. I just don't know if people mm. fully dial in and tune into everything that's going on in that moment. I think some people also get distracted by the Moby track, and I'm like, it's—it's it's the best. Yeah. It's a great needle drop if there ever yeah. was one. Yeah. It earns its needle drop. We love that Moby. Um, but you know, so I, I don't know. I don't know why they don't love it, but I—I I love it because the moment that he says, "I told you I was never going back," and he says, "Yeah," and he holds his hand, like the camera then shoots Pacino's face, that face that I had Brianna, you know, render um, in paint, and it just that just kills me every time because it's that realization that this one perfect partner that he's had, the person that he's most like in the universe is gone. And mm. there was only one outcome that it could ever be that, that yeah. one of them was going to be standing and one of them was going to be dying. And that the weight of that entire universe and everything that's happened in his life and all of the, the consequences of everything that's gone on that just, it just utterly destroys me every single time. I think it's, a, it's the movies need good endings I love that ending, and I feel moved by it too. And I think it's, yeah, for similar reasons to you, it's the, it's the, the realization that he's almost lost a soulmate in some yes. way, mm. and and it's also like 
it was never personal between these two guys. It was no. just like two guys that had jobs that were in opposition to each other. Yes. And he's he he almost looks like a little bit heartbroken that he had to do it, you know? Like mm. he wishes he didn't have to. It reminds me of a western or like a there's a couple of other crime things that have maybe been inspired by this where it's just well, that, never the departed. There's, a, there's yeah, a great the moment departed, in this yeah. movie. Wait, that the the look on Pacino's face its closest pair in this movie is the look on Krisha Hillis's face, Val Kilmer's face, when mm. Ashley Judd gives mm. him the like the yeah. the blackjack dealer Yeah, yeah. Mm. Get out of here, like hand gesture. And when he's driving up in his car, getting away finally, there's a moment on his face where it's just utter heartbreak. Like his soulmate, mm. you know, the sun rises and sets with her. And in that moment it's like that obviously it's a platonic thing, but it's like um, I think in the Kevin Smith pass, it was much more um, erotic. But um, no, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in that pass, uh, that that heartbreak is just so it's so felt. Like every time I watch it, I feel. I mean, it's, it builds up so much over that last half hour. You know, it's, mm. it's so intense because you get you get everyone gets their own moment of it. Al gets it with mm. um, Natalie Portman's character, Natalie Portman. and then. Um, De Niro gets it with his girlfriend as well as he has to move yeah. away from I love the that Amy Brenneman performance oh, as well God. as we get into her. I think yeah. she's amazing in this movie. It's an insanely yeah. great, well, I mean, great performance from her, but that moment is, that lives oh, on when for she, me. When, you know, when, when that camera slows down and he's just walking away from her because he sees Vincent coming, mm. that, and she mm. stands out of the car, that's just like... Oh my god! Amazing, absolutely amazing. Mm. I'm like, you idiot! Go back to her. She's awesome. <laughs> She's a graphic designer. She's a graphic <laughs> designer. She designs album covers. You tool. <laughs> She's reading that book about metals, dude. Come on, she's got a great normal life for you. I watched her recently oh. in Daylight. So good. She's so good. I was going to say Daylight too because she's great in Daylight. Daylight she had too. a great moment with. Well, I wish there was a Daylight too. I think I she's got think great chemistry with. Is there? I'm going to wow. look right now. Should be called Nightlight. But um, her and Sly and her and Robert De Niro. They have such great chemistry together. That is a romantic comedy I would love to see where Amy Brenneman <laughs> is dating, is in a love triangle with those two guys. I would love to see it. Oh, I'd my God. It. Like Three to Tango or something. That, a movie I've <laughs> never seen. The most random New Line <laughs> Cinema reference from 93 of all time. I've never no seen one it. No ever heard of that Keeping movie. the Faith, all those great movies oh from around God. 1996. That no one has seen, but we all know the video covers of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one's a rabbi, one's a priest. It's going to be freaking awesome. Oh, and one's Jenna Elfman. <laughs> he's a rabbi, but he's I a priest, and she's kooky as hell. <laughs> <laughs> she's crazy for this one. One thing that really resonated with me for my talk with Blake on our previous episode about Le Circle Rouge um, is... Cameron and I, we've been trying to figure out what is the deeper thing about these heist movies that resonates with us. We've kind of landed on like the ideas of like emotional catharsis through redemption, through justice, through social justice. But uh, we kind of hit on it last week, and it's so clear here that the idea of justice, the idea of catharsis, it boils down to one core theme, and that core theme 
is freedom. And it's, I think that's what it is. Blake put it so well where he said, it's about the risk. It's about the gamble. It's about the gamble where everything's on the line and the prize is freedom. And that's like the thing that every human being on this earth like wants or deserves or is entitled to in some kind of Mm. way is that idea of freedom. It's like the most pure need that we all have. And I think this film captures it so well because it has that balance of all these different multifaceted lives of crime. And for heat, it's iridescent algae. Iridescent (laughs) algae. That's freedom in heat is iridescent algae. That's uh, De Niro saying those two words he's never said before. Iridescent algae. (laughs) But it's all about like that. You know, that's what's on the line. He says, you've got to put everything you have in that bag to get away in that moment. Hmm. I mean, that's not how he says in the movie. That's more the Kevin Smith part (laughs) of what it was originally written as. But um, that's the idea. That's the philosophy of this movie is freedom is what's on the line each time. It's to get a greater freedom or to just be stuck with the freedom that you're with now and the risk is to lose that freedom and i think that's what it is it's that catharsis and that's that sense of justice it's about these things that we're entitled to and these things that are taken away from us and these things that we're deprived of guys that is fucking awesome (laughs) that is a great call that is a great take i loved hearing it I'm pissed off I didn't think of it. <laughs> but I think it's awesome and that's totally it's absolutely right. That's that's what these movies are about and the best ones are the ones that really dial in on that. And they yes. they're the ones that I emotionally connect to because we all have that desire to be free on some level and this movie literalizes it with like what if you could get 12 million dollars and disappear into the sunset, you know, you'd be you can't be any more free than that. That's such a good call. Well, it was mainly Blake, and I just said it really nicely. Now, so you, Blake said so it you stole Blake. No, you guys take. No, you guys, you guys were there. Like I, I just added the gamble because that's the one thing that for Neil Macaulay in so many other heist films, it feels like a gamble. And I think what the great thing is is that when we're with Neil Macaulay, it never feels like a gamble. And then the Vincent Hanneman is the embodiment of the fact that it is a gamble because there is other forces out there mm. that are against you. You're not just. You're not unimpeded. There are people out there that can that can tack into your things. They can take take down your cars. They can surveil you. They can do those things. So I think that's what's so great is that they can the, kill Tom Sizemore in front of you. They, they can, can do absolutely all those crazy do that. Things. They can absolutely do that. Um, but yeah, no, that, there's all those moments. But Neil, he's kind of got that hubris that he doesn't feel like it's a gamble. And I think that that the moment that he feels like it's not a gamble anymore is his ultimate demise. Which um, again, e- endlessly rewatchable because of that. I fucking love it. I fucking love it. <laughs> uh, I'm pumped on it. I want to watch this movie again. Song. I want to fucking... Uh, I watched, I watched it, it a few times. It's pretty good. I might it's pop it on good. again tonight before I go to bed. Fuck it. The wife's away. I, I have to say to the reboot rat, if you can, I know you, you guys can get onto the old Pirate Bay, but there's a 1995 <laughs> cut of Heat that was on Blu-ray, the Warner Brothers Blu-ray. Get Ooh. that. If you don't have the Warner Brothers Blu-ray, I, I currently have two copies, but if you if you can find them on eBay, they existed for a long time, they're very cheap, but now only the Director's Definitive Edition exists. And I strongly mm. recommend that original 35mm print that was scanned and put on Blu-ray is still the superior version of Heat. The other versions have been slightly tweaked, colour corrected. Whoa. The original theatrical cut, unparalleled in my mind. Even better than this new 4K restoration? Better. better. 
Fuck, that would have been so annoying for you in the cinema. <laughs> Traveling <laughs> no, all this never. way, they're going, fuck, it's oh, not as movie, good as that DVD the from mo- 10 years the, ago. The movie was almost inconsequential at that point, right? It was like, a, it was it was there to be the campfire that I was around. But, mm. but it's also, the thing is, let's say conservatively, I've seen Heat like 200 plus times. So... <laughs> It's oh, when it. something is touched in your... These thing conservatives that you think is- always inaccurately <laughs> reporting things. <laughs> well, let's just say I've seen it that many times, right? So any change, it's like someone like mm. drawing a dick on the Mona Lisa's face. <laughs> I'm just like, it doesn't... It feels like sacrilege, yeah? So I... I- Me? I see the cock on her head. I'm like, mm, daddy like. Daddy like, Mona. Daddy like. Um, but yeah, so I, I would strongly recommend if you- the Reboot Rats out there, eBay... The original theatrical cut is the best. It doesn't lose the line after he says great ass. My favorite line in that scene is actually when he says, ferocious, aren't I? And they take that out of the new version, which I don't like. Brutal. We've got to give this movie some awards. You know, famously, this movie has been snubbed by awards in the past, but it is time for it to get its due here today yes. on this podcast. We might give out some Academy Awards. Now, normally we, we like to give out Oscars to a, um, a character actor who doesn't normally get a shout-out, doesn't normally get the spotlight, and, uh, and gets a day in the sun in this film. Mm-hmm. Normally you'd have one or two to choose from. This movie, a little different. This movie's um, to the gills with character actors. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is out the freaking wazoo. <laughs> Character actors. It's got two movie stars and then every working character actor that's ever been in a crime movie, yeah. that's ever had a gun pointed at them, that's ever pointed a gun at someone. And then, of course, the lovely ladies, Amy Brenneman, Ashley Judd. Mm. Great stuff. Diane Venora. I'll say this. You know you're watching a film from the 90s if McKelty Williamson's popping up. <laughs> oh, man. He's fantastic. He's I so love, good. And hired because... He was snubbed by the Academy Awards, just like Heat was. Mm-hmm. Michael Mann and Al Pacino had another actor in that role. I'm still trying to find out who that was. And they wow. paid him out of his contract to get Michael T. Williamson in to play. Really? Was character. it because he was snubbed from Primary Colors? No. Is that the movie? No. Forrest. Forrest Gump. When he plays Bubba. Man, he's so oh good in that. Oh, my God. He's great as Bubba. He's great yes. in everything. I fucking love him. He's such a he's great actor. He was great in uh, Primary yeah. Colors, mm. too. I forgot that he has a small part in that. Great in Ali. He's got that one beautiful freaking monologue mm. in Primary Colors where he just talks about how he can't read, and it's just amazing. He's yeah. so good. He's in Justified for a couple of seasons. Really great in that. Um, I wanted to. We, I think we all need to pick an actor and give them. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's so many. I mean, fuck, all the greats are in here. Jeremy Piven's yep. in here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, dude, we love. Man. Oh my god, I love him. I love his plugs. I love everything about oh, him. I'll, so I will good. give. I want to give mine to um, an, maybe an underused actor from the 1990s mm-hmm. uh, because I only know him from two things. Um, Tone Loke, the rapper. Yes. Wow. Yes. Are the two things you know him from Funky Cold Medina and Wild Thing? <laughs> his two songs that sound exactly the same? Uh, yes, I know him from those. I also know him from Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. Wow. Oh, and wow. Spy Hard. I Spy thought Hard. that was Robin Williams. I didn't know it was Tone Loke. <laughs> In Fern Gully. Holy shit. Oh, my God. 
Well, you know, there's so many. William Fichtner, he's like, to me, he embodies Heat, like how people think about him as a character actor. That's William Fichtner in Heat. Tom Noonan. Oh, I love oh, Tom Noonan. Yeah. I love that he's like fucking nine foot tall and they go, what's going to be on the screen if people are much shorter than him? Put him in a wheelchair. I think that's such a great choice. But the one that I had never noticed before until watching it this time, I was lucky enough to see the wonderful Mr. Blake Howard introduce Heat to the beautiful audience at Golden Age Cinema. First time I ever saw it on a big screen. And I had never noticed that a beloved actor from Harold and Maud, Bud Court, is in the movie playing the shitty manager at the diner that Dennis Haysbert works in. So good. I have watched this movie probably like 10 times conservatively. I will say 10 times. <laughs> and I had never known it was Bud Court, who also is in Dogma. The, it's the link between the oh Dick and the Smith God. films, Heat and Dogma. So this is the this is the Viewersk universe. Oh, because look. doesn't Bud Court play God in Dogma at a certain point? What isn't uh, that Alanis Morissette? You uh, think? Yeah, maybe he, when he's silent and he's like he's yes. on the New Jersey pier. Yeah. He's in a coma oh or some shit. God. I can't remember. I haven't seen Dogma since I was probably 15 years old, so I'm trying to tap into knowledge I don't access anymore. Oh I want to see if you're correct here. That's crazy. If you're correct, that's one of the craziest things. I can't even... That he's in both? Yeah. That he... I know he is in Dogma. Is he? Yes. A... This is the gamble. I'm putting everything on the line. All right. How much are you willing to bet? How much are you willing to if bet? If I'm right, you buy me a beer. If I'm wrong, I'll kill myself live on air. <laughs> okay. All right. The stakes are pretty even, I would say, for all of, for all of us. Uh, okay, he is in heat. That is confirmed. And mm-hmm. he does play God in Dogma. That's true. Yes. Yes. John Doe Jersey. Jersey. John Doe Jersey. Thank God. I did not want to kill myself, but I had made you the You owe him that beer, baby. So you will live to die another God. day. Oh, good that's Lord. so good. Until the next bet I make. Um, but I'm, Blake, who's your Mr. Character Actor going to? I'm going to chuck in... A character actor of uh, really high esteem, um, Xander Berkeley as Ralph. I just have to, I have mm-hmm. to throw it out there. What an iconic performance! Ever so briefly, Xander Berkeley, the only actor that is in both LA Takedown and Heat, he plays Wayne Grow in oh, really? LA Takedown. Yeah, and so he comes Shit, over, he jumps I like over this here. Guy. He's so great. Um, he's been in a bazillion things. He plays Ralph and just him in his ill-fitting tracksuit pants trying to get the hell out of a fight between Vincent and Justine is just outstanding. He's uh, he's Todd in Terminator 2, yes, if you guys have seen that, of course. that's the main thing I know him from. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's absolutely outstanding. I love him. And um, that scene is just one of my favorite things ever. You, Alexi, you probably wow. know him because he portrayed um, Sheriff Thomas McAllister in The Mentalist. <laughs> oh, Your favorite of course, show. The guy oh, from The Mentalist. Show. Yeah, of course. I used to take pictures of... Um, <laughs> take pictures of... Take pictures of his hair and take it to your barber. <laughs> his hair to my barber. Yeah, I love him. So I can you give me oh, the Sheriff Tom McAllister? Like- oh. <laughs> oh, God, Xander. We love Xander. I tried to take his name as well. I tried to go to Xander one day. Uh, and th- those are the character actor awards. They're going to those beautiful stars. Congratulations, Bud Court. Congratulations, Tone Loke, and congratulations, Xander, for playing Ralph. Uh, I have been thinking about this for a while. We're going into our Total Reboot segment, 
how do you reboot this? Currently, there's a book <laughs> being printed a million times called Heat 2. I know very little about a it. Million Blake, do you times? know what's up? Yeah, I've read it. What do you it's mean a million times? It's probably being printed times? a million copies. It's being... If they're printing it right now to a million copies. So, why did, so you, sorry, million... why did you need to say that it's being printed a million times? <laughs> because it, it, people need to know that it's not going to be a limited edition. Been, they will be able to buy it eventually. There's one million copies of it. There's one million <laughs> copies of it. And it's probably going to be an ebook as well. So, it's going to be read a million times, not even printed once. God. Wow. It was just a, a weird detail that you, you <laughs> didn't need to say. Anyway, well, I think it's going to be a big book. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I think it's going to be a really big item, big seller, especially for for Christmas season. Christmas yeah. for the dads. Yeah, oh, <laughs> it dads comes. It comes. It comes out in August. So if for oh September in Australia, it is peak Perfect dad purchase for silly time. Season. Perfect. So yes. you have you read it, Blake? Uh, yeah, I got an advanced copy. Holy shmomit. Wow. And do you reckon there's a million co- advanced copies out there? <laughs> well, actually, at the Tribeca Film Festival, they had a table of them. So, like, a stack of the wow. audience got an advanced reader copy. So, that usually what they would send them out from reviews. But I, I was able to pick one up. Is it true that it's a both a prequel and a sequel? Yeah, it is. And uh, Timothy Chalamet plays the young one in the <laughs> prequel. They say describe as nah, he's a he bird-like creature. <laughs> um, he has absolutely zero body fat. He's basically bones with a skin casing. Um, but no, he's. Uh, it's set in both 1998 and 2002. Wow. So, um, so uh, sorry, 1988 rather, and 2002. So it's mm. like before Vincent Hanna has come to Robbery Homicide Division, mm-hmm. um, and then a little bit after because um, I, I don't think it's. I, I'm not spoiling anything to say. There is one survivor from the Macaulay crew that does get away, which is Christian Healers, and it may follow the events after the heist wow. and um, and what he gets up to. Um, and it's the most Michael Mann written book you've ever read in your life. And I say that with a great compliment. Like it's just, it is the connective tissue between a bunch of different thematic things that he's done. It's got, you know, it's, it's got that connective tissue with something like a collateral and with something like Miami vice and Mm. with things like black hat, you know, towards that, towards that sort of proto black hat stuff that comes later. But Mm. no, I'm, I'm having a great time reading it. I hope you mean shared characters. I hope you mean the black hat. No shared characters, no shared characters, but (laughs) it just has the benefit of like, I don't know what it is about being re, you know, having a sequel in a book, but like, Every character that you're familiar with, it's just like you're you're seeing them in your head, you're hearing them mm. talk as they have in this movie. So, it, like, I, it's extremely enjoyable for me, the world's largest heat nerd, wow. to like be reading this and hearing all these characters and seeing what they're up to. Do they describe characters? Goes this guy looks exactly like what Angelina Jolie's dad would look <laughs> like and stuff. No, no, nothing looked quite like that. Nothing quite like this that. guy looks like he would be listed in. Uh, in Heidi Fleiss's black book. <laughs> <laughs> this guy looks like he's got plugs, baby, and he's a vet. Um, <laughs> and they actually do slag off Jeremy Piven's character in the book, so that's, that's uh, awesome. That's good. I oh, dude, that. I can't wait to read This that. guy looks like he's smoking freaking aces. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds sick. I can't wait to read that. That'll be great. Yeah. You will uh, have a good time. I have been toying over the idea of who you cast in those roles and how you do a reboot and who you go for. And I've been thinking, like, you know, it has to be taking actors from the past that are, like, in their prestige era now, like the way that Al Pacino and De Niro were. They were movie stars 20 years earlier, and now they're in, like, their prestige period. So one person came to mind straight away, 
which was Denzel. Mm. And mm. I think, like, Denzel, he can play either of those characters perfectly. Then I'm thinking who you match him up with. And I was thinking Lawrence Fishburne, Will Smith. But then I always thought, what was one thing that I loved from Heat that I wish was more impactful and bigger? And I always thought Tone Heat Luke. could be <laughs> more, yes. Or there is something to do with a little wild thing, is what I'm saying. And I think that there should have, like, the, a way to improve or to reboot this idea would add a little sexual tension mm-hmm. between those two. A kind of like a, like, play the soulmate story up to a love story in some kind of way, a flirtation. And then I thought. Al and Bobby, how are they connected? They've been in one movie before. They're in an epic film from a period setting that broke them out as stars, The Godfather Part Two. And I thought, well, Denzel, Malcolm X, who does he share the screen with? Angela Bassett. Hmm. And I thought bringing them wow. together. Hmm. And either one playing either role, I just found it to be like... I just hit me. I was like, that. W- I would just love to see them have like this adversarial relationship together with like something as powerful and as epic as this. And I was like, I'm. S- I can't think of anyone more after this that would fit those roles that well, and then create something new together. That's a sick call. That would no, be I, awesome. That's a. It's a great. It's a great call. I. I. I love. You. It's so hard to find someone who matches. Someone right? Mm. It's so hard. I, I have more fun sometimes going back and going who would be in Heat in 1974. Mm. Oh, you know, like Cassavetes uh, and Peter Falk. Uh, yeah, there we go. Well, maybe <laughs> and Falk, but you'd be like, oh, it'd be Mc- it has to be McQueen and Paul Newman. Mm. Has to, like you could you could just then play yeah. like a kind of bull- you know get get yeah, bullet to be the bad guy. You know, that probably sell more tickets. Uh, it would sell quite a few tickets, version. I think. Um, but no, well, probably Columbo. And, um, <laughs> no, but Col- like what Columbo and freaking Beretta aren't cool enough for you? I, Johnny I, Staccato, whatever the cop that Casamani's <laughs> played on TV was. Uh, that's so funny. But no, I no, I think Washington and Bassett they are amazing shouts, Lex. That's yeah, I, I that's like that one. What about you, Cam? No, I really like that. I would. I was going to say the minions, but um, <laughs> but uh, no, I am. I'm stuck on this Denzel thing, and now I can't see anyone else. I think Denzel and Bassett would be cool. Otherwise, you know, we jump street this. We make it funny. We get some comedy stars yeah. in there. God, Mike and Dana. Mike and Dana. <laughs> Michael, Mike and Mike. That would be great. Jonah Mike Hill. And Mike and Mike. Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah. You know, you get the boys. Oh, yeah, make wow. it a super bad. I have sequel. such a deep fondness for <laughs> yeah. super bad. I could totally watch yeah. every cast member of super bad has to play a character in this movie. Like they have, mm, like you yeah. just have to cast them all around. <laughs> um, yes. you'd, you'd have to do that. Uh, would Michael Sarah be, you, I know you'd want the boys to play Hannah and Macaulay, but like, would Michael Sarah make more sense to play like Shahilis? Because then he could go mm. up against McLovin, you know, like it'd be Jonah oh, versus yeah, McLovin. Like like wow. as 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 Hannah, um, so I don't know. Yeah, no. Honestly, that's the only thing that has actually made me excited about a heat reboot is if all the cast of Superbad was in it. <laughs> yeah, especially Super like my, uh, especially like all, all the weird God. like people at the party. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The fuck my life guy. I want them all. God, like, all of them. Crumholtz as <laughs> yeah. freaking uh, freaking Tom Noonan. Oh. Be great. Yeah, let's do it. Even that guy who spits on Jonah Hill. That guy. Get him in there somewhere. Maybe him as Van Zant. Or as Henry Rollins, he's got Henry Rollins' thick neck. He could totally be in it. <laughs> God dang it. He is such a sick movie. Yeah, it rocks. It rocks. Yeah. I'm so glad I watched it. It was a perfect one to close out this miniseries on. 
Yeah, it's been great going through all these heist movies. I'm glad that we fucking figured out that it's freedom. That's what it's all about, the gamble of freedom. And uh, I feel very satisfied by that. It's like the freaking, unlike a heist movie, it all came together in the end, you know? Mmm, it did. We were and I've, I've really enjoyed coming together with you guys in the end of this podcast. Oh, it's been yes, so that's good. incredibly wow. sexual. That's <laughs> Yes, you sexualized what we were There's doing, Blake. There's some sexual and, uh, references. <laughs> we have to put that little disclaimer at the top. Oh no! Say, I'm your first episode that is a parental advisory. <laughs> yeah. oh, please, God. for the love of Christ, do not listen to this episode with your children because these guys will say st- that stuff that innuendos sexual relationships with each other. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for doing the uh, the episode with this Blake. I, I love having you on. You're a fucking champion. And oh, you've touched the hand of um, Bobby himself, Bobby. and that's very yeah. exciting. And Art Linson, yeah. you know. And Art Linson, guys. Oh, yeah. You touched Art. Touched Art. Wow. Yeah, no. Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of our listeners do listen to your podcast, but you should plug you should plug your podcast just in case. Oh, well, look, guys, we are now one heat minute production. So everything that we do over there um, is uh, things like our Michael Mann, uh, modern Michael Mann horny campfire, Miami Nice, I do with my great friend Katie mm. Walsh. Um, and we're currently in Tokyo Nice. We're doing a little mini series on mm. Tokyo Vice, the TV Ooh. series. So we're almost finished that. Um, and I do another podcast with two sons of two greats, uh, son, of, mm-hmm. uh, son of Jim Belushi and son of... Uh, John Candy, Chris Candy, and Rob Belushi. We do a show called Too Much Movie about 90s movies that we do. Um, So another episode of that is coming up as well. And um, I told these boys about this many times, but uh, Podcaster and Commander is the next extended series that we're doing. Uh, Peter Weir, the greatest Australian filmmakers, incredible uh, film starring Rusty Crowe. So we're going to be doing that. I've just been assembling that, but much like you guys with your amazing Finding series, that is a behemoth of an effort that I kind of like... (laughs) I try and put off until I'm completely immersed in it. So I, <laughs> I, I, I'm like, it's so big that like I just disappear yeah. off the face of the earth for a week. But no, we're, we're doing that. And um, we will be doing a few extra episodes of One Hit Minute. I'm going to do something more in line with our other shows like Zodiac Chronicle and Josie and the Pussycats, uh, Josie and the mm. Podcats rather, like where it's a more edited episode. We're going to take people through the book because um, uh, the book is in parts. It's in years. So I'm not doing a a page at a time or a chapter at a time. I'm actually going to do parts um, and have a whole bunch of our great One Heat Minute family come on and maybe even the man himself. Oh, fuck yeah. That's awesome. So uh, we'll we'll see if he wants to come back to talk a little bit of heat too. And if you've never listened to it, the episode where Blake interviews Michael Mann, it's one of the great interviews. It's so freaking good. Um, Everyone should check it out if you haven't before. Yeah. Such good stuff. If you're a fan of heat and you are like, there is a show that does one episode of every single minute that's it's our show, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's our show. And, and we have had yeah. some great guests we not only had Michael Mann we've had cinematographer Dante Spinotti we've had we have had Tom Sizemore we have had Xander Berkeley Ralph we have had Guillermo del Toro a Michael Mann mm-hmm. acolyte come and talk to us as well so um, a lot a lot of great guests on there and so if you can go and find that uh, just in any of your podcast apps just type in one hit minute you'll find it hell yeah dude Thank you so much for doing our show. We appreciate it. I appreciate you We love you. Yes. We adore you. We worship you. (laughs) We want to do one heat minute minute where we go through each (laughs) episode minute by minute of one heat minute (laughs) with interesting guests and lots of cool guys that we do that with.
But um, Blake, thank you for joining us. That is the end of our heist mini series. We are going to take a couple of weeks off before we start the new mini series. There'll be some things in your feed here and there, so please listen to them. But we will be kicking off a new mini series in a couple of weeks, and this is one that we've had an idea for for quite some time, mm. but it has finally come to us doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a special one. Cameron, do you want to announce it, perhaps? There was a year. Many, many, many moons ago, the year was 1982, and there was a season in that year, a season that is known for its warmth, known for its heat, in fact. (laughs) It's known for its heat. (laughs) The season, of course, is the summer, summer of 1982, one of the most famous movie seasons of all time. Some big hits, big blockbusters came out. In that summer, and we're coming up on the what is it? The fortieth, fiftieth? What is it? Anniversary? It's a fortieth anniversary Ooh, of anniversary. Blockbuster anniversary. Summer, the summer of nineteen eighty-two. Uh, so we're going to be talking about, you know, the big movies of that summer that includes stuff like freaking E.T. the Extraterrestrial. We've got uh, the. Thing, Blade Runner, Rocky um, Three, Conan the Barbarian, mm. Rocky Three, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and wow. it's the 40th anniversary of all these iconic movies. They all came out at the same time in this like crazy blockbuster summer of 1982. So we're going to be talking about those 40th anniversary films celebrating their 40th year on this freaking earth. And yeah, it's going to be nostalgic, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Very excited to do that. So that'll be starting in a few weeks. Um, as Alexi said, we're taking a little bit of time off to um, continue editing Finding Yeezus, which is coming together at the moment. Oh, and unfortunately, it does require all of our attention. So we'll be doing that <laughs> to get it in your eyeballs before the year is out. Um, if you want more, five bucks a month on patreon.com slash total reboot will give you access to a bonus podcast and our cinephile registry group on Facebook, which Blake is a part of. So you can go and talk to him there and stalk you. him and all that kind of shit. Um, <laughs> Find out his personal information by clicking the link of his name. If he ever types <laughs> anything in there. <laughs> uh, what else do we need to plug? You know, our Instagrams, follow them. Yes. At this is Lexi at I am Cameron James at one Blake minute. They're mm. all there on Instagram. You can find out what we actually look like behind these microphones and dare i say it uh pretty nice pretty nice looking fellas <laughs> very desirable very desirable specimens here in the podcasting world uh, but thank you for joining us blake we love you love cameron you i love you too alexi yes i know you did threaten to commit suicide at one point during this podcast, but you know you love yourself do not forget about that and everybody out there i love you too and please share your love with cinema movies dvds streaming illegal downloading i don't think it's that good but if it's the only way you can watch something um you got to speak to your priest or some shit because i actually do oh and barley dvds barley (laughs) dvds i encourage i think that's cool because you're supporting a different industry that's that's it if you steal movies illegally from the internet you're stealing from the industry that's a different industry helping those guys out of the markets there (laughs) all right thanks guys (laughs) 